Hi, and once again, welcome to the Blue Morpho podcast. I'm Hamilton South, your host. And today I have Josh Leonard on with us from the Pursuit of Infinity podcast and many more exciting adventures. Josh, thank you so much for being here with us. Hamilton, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So we did a podcast together and uh, really we're covering on, on psychedelics and plant medicines and my own journey. And today I would like to flip it to really understand more about you and your background and what led you into podcasting. So let's start there. How, what came before podcasting and what got you into it? So before podcasting, um, so I have a graphic design degree, um, not using it professionally right now, but it did come in handy dramatic, uh, dramatically with the podcast, doing all the art, the logo and all that stuff. Um, but before podcasting really came uh, my psychedelic use and my interest in psychedelics, which started in about 2015, 2016, when, you know, you have these tumultuous presidential elections with, you know, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, and all of these polarizing figures. Um, and politics was coming to the forefront of a lot of people's consciousness at that time, even people who weren't previously into politics. Um, and I started to notice through this that the systems that we kind of adhere to and we're brought up in don't seem to be the right systems for progress and moving forward for human evolution, in my opinion. So I started to explore topics like consciousness. I stumbled upon a book called Biocentrism by a man named uh, Robert Lanza, which essentially was like a scientific theory on consciousness being fundamental as opposed to space-time and the physical materialist paradigm that you often see in science. So this was sort of my venture from absolute atheism to what I am now. Um, so after doing some research there, um, really falling into um, a lot of research with science and you know stuff that I could verify you know, or that other people could verify for me via the materialist paradigm, I started to venture into some of these psychedelic and spiritual gurus. Uh, I stumbled upon Alan Watts and Terrence McKenna, Ram Dass. And Terrence McKenna was really the one who struck me deeply. I heard him speaking about um, psychedelic mushrooms as a way to break these paradigms that I was uh, like so viciously trying to escape. And when I really tried psychedelics for the first time, mushrooms were my uh, my first venture. The rubber really hit the road there. Um, and all of the experiences that Terrence had been claiming and that all these people have been talking about really came to fruition for me. Um, I wasn't much of a drug person before that. Like in high school, I was pretty straight edged. Uh, but I didn't really do any, any drugs. Um, marijuana was pretty much my first drug. Um, I've never done like heroin, cocaine, meth, any of that kind of stuff. So there wasn't really a base foundation of doing drugs for pleasure or in a party setting. So when I approached mushrooms, it really was with the foundational understanding that these people were uh, were putting across like Terrence McKenna. Um, and as I said, the rubber really met the road when I started to experiment with them and had some of these amazing, profound experiences. And psychedelics were such a powerful paradigm shift for me. They changed everything. As I had mentioned, I was a, a staunch atheist. You know, I was the kind of person that if you couldn't verify it via scientific papers and books and uh, things like that, I didn't think it was real. Um, I really liked to 
um, argue with people on the internet, especially religious people, because I was an atheist and I really needed that, that external verification, you know, because I wasn't able to find it within myself. I wasn't secure in my own beliefs. And I didn't know that at the time, but taking psychedelics really helped me to broaden my understanding of what reality could possibly be. And with going through all of these adventures, um, I took a course through psychedelics today, which was called navigating psychedelics for clinicians and therapists. And at the end of that, there's what they call an integration project. So what you do is you go through the class. It was eight weeks of, um, zoom meetings and discussions. And then at the end, you take all of the information that you've gathered, everything that you've learned, and you sort of uh, put that into practice, whether it be through a piece of art or a plan moving forward. Uh, some people created music. Some, some people um, put together a resume. There was this one guy who applied for a job at MAPS, um, and that was like his integration project, planning that whole thing out. Uh, but for me, it was this podcast that I'm doing now, Pursuit of Infinity. Uh, my brother and I have been kicking around the idea for a little while because we always talk about this stuff. You know, um, he's also a psychonaut. And so as part of this project, I planned out the entire thing, the structure. Um, I put together a whole bunch of names. I think I had like 12 names and a few accompanying logos for each of those names. And I, I put that out into um, a presentation and I asked the, the group of, uh, of classmates you know, to vote on which one they thought was best, both name and logo. And uh, Pursuit of Infinity was the one that won. Um, and I redid the logo completely uh, from then. My brother actually was the one who came up with the name Pursuit of Infinity, which I thought was beautiful. Um, so yeah, it pretty much stemmed from, you know, my psychedelic use. And then this class really helped me to uh, like ignite that fire under me, the creative fire to go through with creating something and putting myself out there in this way. That's amazing. I love this idea that uh, you had such a transition in the way that you think from having these visionary experiences. Walk me through what it was like in those early uh, experiences with mushrooms and other psychedelics that tested that belief system in atheism and how that ultimately shifted. Yeah. One thing that really rang true that Terrence McKenna has always said was that uh, mushrooms are easy on beginners. And then obviously the deeper you go, the harder they get, the more challenging they get to you personally. And the initial experiences were very, very joyful, um, amazing experiences of oneness, interconnectedness, but also uh, impermanence as well. And I had a mystical experience pretty early. And it, to me, that's the experience that really just catapults it to the next dimension because there's a lot of people that have great experiences that are therapeutic where you can, uh, you can address personal issues and family stuff and all the things that are bothering you within the physical world. Um, but I feel like the mystical experience is really the, the experience that does all of it for you. It recontextualizes everything. Um, and these, so the, the very first time I felt that, I, I was an atheist and, um, I was very nihilistic at the time as well, because a lot of times with atheism comes nihilism because you're looking at the world systematically in a way that's, um, very surface level. You're looking at the physical material nature of reality and you're sort of 
um, basing your foundational value on those things. And that's what I did. And then when I felt the, the first experience of oneness, interconnectedness with that spirit, that thing that you can only refer to as God, the thing they told you couldn't exist, you know, throughout school, you're learning about science and math and history. And they tell you that these things aren't real magic. And, um, you know, just this absolute oneness and unity, um, because we live in this duality here, you know, like we live in this weird dual nature where we describe things with language and we break things down. Um, but then when you have this non-dual type of experience, it just shifts everything. And it shifted my entire life. It, I reprioritized everything that was important to me. Um, and one of the messages initially that it told me was, um, bring your loved ones here show them like you one of your duties is to show people what this is and help them to go down this path too if they so choose and the very first person that i chose to show this to was my fiance the most important person in my life um, at the time she was not my fiance but at the time we were having um some real issues and we were on the verge of breaking up and we basically said to each other, you know, we know we love each other. We know we want this to work, but there's something blocking us. There's like something in the way, like some sludge that we just can't navigate our way through. Um, so I had pointed to my safe, which is where I had kept my mushrooms at the time. And I said to her, if you really want to make this work, there's this dramatic thing we can try here. We can try mushrooms together. And um, I had given her a low dose prior to this. Uh, just to sort of get her feet wet with it. Um, but there was no profound mystical type uh, interconnecting experience for her. It was just like, you know, the floor turned into worms and the walls were breathing and all that stuff, which is fantastic. Um, but when we took them together for the first time, it was um, four, four grams dried, which is a substantial dose. And we both had a an absolutely amazing experience that allowed us to connect with one another on a level that we did not previously think was possible. It broke down the walls and the facade and it allowed us to navigate through that sludge to a point where we were able to see each other's being for who we really were and connect on that level um, with the help of that higher divine power. And you know, one of the things that's really amazing about the mushrooms is that they allow you to communicate. Um, they break down the barriers that um, shackle your emotions and your emotional expression, uh, which was super helpful for us. Um, also, just I remember um, she had said to me during the experience, I can't believe my mind is capable of this. And I thought, yes, absolutely. That's one of the most amazing first experiences to have is like this, this notion that your mind is not just this wetware of neurons, you know, your mind has a divine connection to something greater. Um, and when you really feel that it, it just it, it changes everything. And it changed everything for us as a singular unit as a couple ourselves. And uh, we have been just flourishing ever since then, you know, we, we pretty much say there was like two parts of our relationship for psychedelics. And now after psychedelics. God, it's unbelievably beautiful. Uh, the part that stands out for me in that is how you said you, you know, you had a four gram dose of mushrooms. 
and you guys go into this experience and then you move through the sludge. What was moving through the sludge in that experience actually like? I, I love the idea that you two together come together to have a therapeutic session with a plant medicine to work on something in the relationship that requires an altered state of consciousness. You can't solve the problems that you're having in the state of consciousness in which when you're having the problems and approaching a solution. So you decide to go to a plant medicine to ask it for support. You know that it has the potential to provide it and you start to go into the experience and you transcend what people think of when they put psychedelics in a box or they put plant medicines in a box. You move past this idea of, you know, the, the floor becoming something else or the walls breathing, et cetera. You move into an altered state that has a real purpose associated with it. It moves beyond kind of the hallucination into something of a, a shift in consciousness that's really purposeful. And in your case, it's healing and it brings the two of you together. So in that process, what is it really like to go through that sludge part? Well, before you get to the sludge part, the come up is definitely a difficult experience, especially when you don't really know how you're going to act, how you're going to react with the person that you're with. Um, but then when it starts to come on, um, the moving through the sludge, part of it is breaking the paradigms that you thought were in place. And like you said, going to a plant medicine that, you know, under our current culture is very taboo. You know, you're told that there's no way that this stuff is medicinal. It's going to rot your brain. People just use it in party settings. And when you start to allow the substance to do its work on you and you submit to it fully and you surrender to it, what we experienced was the, what I call like what I was calling the sludge. It's like the walls that we put up um, ever since we're young. You know, we, we build these walls brick by brick by brick according to our experiences and our traumas. And they're so deep. And when you realize that all you, that you can just push that wall over with a single finger, it's, it's not powerful. It does not have power over you. And you discover who you really are. That's where the rubber meets the road. And if what we did was we were able to have that experience together. So we were able to both see ourselves for who we are inside of our, like our true being, and then we were able to identify that true nature, our soul or spirit, whatever you want to call it, in each other. And when you can connect on a level like that, you can move past all of those things that were built up brick by brick. And it just allowed us to communicate in a way where there was no judgment, where we were able to share our true feelings without feeling like uh, there were going to be dire consequences. You know, this... Uh, this notion of fear is, is a big part of it. We're afraid of everything in this culture. Um, every little change, every little um, shift in idealism or paradigm, we, we feel like is going to um, crumble the lives around us. And I think that fear really holds us back. And really, that the fear is like, a, is like the hardened concrete in between each of these bricks. It holds it all together. And when you can dissolve that fear, that's when you really can just push that wall over and realize that, you know, we can connect on this level where there's no judgment. Um, and also a big aspect of it is sharing in the experience of the divine. Um, that is 
so powerful. I mean, having a divine experience by yourself is just life altering. Um, but when you're able to share that with the person that you care for and love most in the world, it's just, it changes everything. You know, it reprioritized our relationship as number one, you know, that was, I think an important part of it was, um, our priorities were all messed up. You know, um, I've heard Joe Rogan, he, compares it to like a, a computer desktop, you know, where all of your folders are jumbled, the files are all over the place. And that's like what, what it was for us. And this experience helped us to put all the files into folders, clean up our desktop. And at that very first position, the top left corner, it wasn't the recycle bin anymore. It was our relationship. That was the folder that was at the very, very top. And ever since then, it's been, it's been that for us. We have prioritized each other and each other's happiness and fulfillment over everything. That's amazing. Walk me through the experience of the divine, the experience of God. What is it like to have, for those who've never had this kind of experience, a firsthand uh, encounter with the divine? It's just the most beautiful thing you can ever imagine. And I'll invoke another one of my experiences um, that I had at one point. So what happens, and this is like the classic ego death or ego disillusion that a lot of people speak of. Um, I had in my visual view, a tapestry. And as you know, a tapestry is made up of a bunch of quilts that are sewn together. And each of these quilts in my visual field were a representation of something or someone that I associated with the definition of myself and who I was. And bit by bit, I could see the threads unwinding and each of these things were just flying off into the abyss, into absolute darkness. And it's difficult when you see these things you define yourself as sort of go away. You have to surrender to that experience and allow these things to go. And then at the core, the very middle quilt that, that goes away is you, who you think you are, your name, even sometimes, you know, you're, your preferences, your attachments, all of these things that you think that you are inside personally. And when you allow that to go away, at least in my experience, once I surrendered to that final thing, unthreading and moving into the abyss, what came after that, and it seemed fairly quickly after I surrendered, was this absolute feeling of transcendence a transcendence of consciousness. It almost felt like an evolution of consciousness, like a, like a micro evolution. Um, and the reason I think it feels like that is because you're connecting to the universal absolute intelligence of spirit of the universe of cosmos, whatever you want to call it. And when you have that feeling, it, it feels like you're connecting to a mind or something that is structured, it's not just a random experience of like, oh, I feel so good that it feels like I'm being lifted and it just feels so great and so euphoric that um, it may be mistaken as an experience of the, of the divine or an ex experience of God. But no, it actually is God or the divine. I mean, use whatever word you want, but it shows itself, it presents itself in that structure, within that form. It doesn't just present itself as euphoria. And to me, it was so amazing because you can speak to it and it can speak back to you. You can ask it questions and it shows you things. Sometimes it speaks in English to me. 
sometimes there, I will get messages of like, you know, this is what the answer to the question is. But usually it's, um, it's like a, a feeling like actually my most recent mushroom experience, I was able to get to this place where I was merging with the divine, with all of consciousness, all of nature, everything. And it like gave me this little wink and it said like, ask me anything, ask me any question. This is a Reddit AMA or something, you know? And I was able to ask any question and I got the answer. But the thing about it, like the, the catch was the answer wasn't presented to me in English. It was presented to me as a feeling. Like it would sort of say to me, I can't tell you in your language, but I'm going to give you this. And it gave me an experience, which was the answer to the question that I had. If that doesn't make any sense, it probably shouldn't because it's hard to uh, dualistically bring these things back and put them into language. But I think the real core of the mystical experience is really that transcendence of consciousness, that feeling that you're connecting to something that is larger than you, that is more intelligent than you. And by larger, I mean huge, like absolutely gargantuan, so big that there are no uh, human measurements or conceptions of, of size. And one of the cool things that it showed me too was um, in terms of like how we measure size, how we measure importance, um, it put the science that we use in a little box and it sealed that box up and it showed me like this is just a tiny, tiny slice of what reality is. And it's only a slice that you can determine and infer upon based off of the senses that you have. Because we just, for some reason, think that because we view the world within our senses that, oh, the world must just be that. That's just, that's just what reality is, according to what we see, feel, hear, smell. But reality seems to be an information field. And we just happen to be biological entities that are able to take in that information via, you know, perception of our senses. And it really did show me that in a big way. And some of the God experiences that I've had, and I've heard other people talk about, it gets difficult to language it because in the experience itself, you realize that that's how humans came up with language for that thing. And the thing goes beyond language. So the direct experience is typically like, oh, this is why people came up with the word God. Like, oh, this is what they were talking about. And that thing isn't the word God. The thing is a, is a presence. It's, a, it's an absolute form, like you say, of intelligence and field, uh, existence, uh, beyond shape and form. It seems to be creating the entire universe of shape and form that we're part of and perceiving and is consistently present with all information. In essence, like all answers to all questions of the cosmos and a recognition, like you say, that often we're not prepared for the answer or we don't have the capacity to fully understand it. And so it's presented in a way that we can uh, embrace in that moment. And it often comes with a deep sense of knowing like a deep sense of getting it and a deep sense of, of fundamental awareness. Um, I think we got presented ideas and ideologies about divinity 
in the form of religion and mythologies and stories. And what people are doing is rejecting the stories themselves. And then because of that rejection, not able to actually get to that fundamental essence. And I've been really interested in the last uh, period of time about people's firsthand experiences of divinity, because to me, that's the next evolution in consciousness is that we, we bridge the gap in, in the illogical expression of mythology, and we start to go into having firsthand experiences of this divine phenomena. How many times for you has that sort of presence appeared, and what are some of the different forms that it's taken? For me, it's it's usually my goal to it's it's my intention to get to that place. So it happens quite often for me, um, and it presents itself in many different ways. Um, on DMT, it has presented itself as uh, the literal Mother Mary figure, which was beautiful. I didn't think that my mind would um, manifest this type of experience with a with Christian iconography. Which is strange because, you know, I asked myself then, you know, what came first? Were the Christians, the Egyptians, and all of these religions, were they dabbling in psychedelics and that's where they pulled these things from? Is that where they pulled the icons from? Or is my mind sort of projecting what I've known and learned over the years to the experience? And that to me is a very tough question to answer. Um, but yeah, in terms of how it presents itself, I mean, in so many different ways and in undescribable ways. Sometimes it's not physical. It's not even visual. Sometimes it's just strictly mental. Uh, sometimes um, behind closed eyes, um, when it takes on certain shapes, these these shapes seem divine. And I think what's super interesting about mushrooms is uh, I believe Alan Watts said that you could see God in an ashtray. And I think the the... The reason being, especially with mushrooms, is that mushrooms show connection. They, they, they present to you connection. And the more and more I learn about fungus and mycelial networks in general, the deeper understanding I have of sort of the intelligence of the mushroom itself, the psilocybin mushroom. Um, and I do think that connection is such an important part because fungal networks, they connect all of life. They connect the trees, they connect the plants. They are what allowed plants to evolve from being uh, in water to land. Uh, they, they convert dead things back into energy and put that energy back into life. And to me, that's all about connection. Um, so I think that is a, a big part of the way that the mushrooms present the divine or present God, because they present it in a way that it shows you that not only is this external or it feels external from you it also is you um and the experience of feeling yourself simultaneously as everything and everyone in the universe but also as a singular individual is a very transformative experience yeah i've thought of that experience as uh in through and all around as a way to try to describe it this divinity and the 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 principle of it is is in through and all around and I always thought of the two teachings around you could find God anywhere, sort of a Christ teaching, look for me and you'll find me. And I tried to understand that concept. And I, f I finally came to realize that by looking and focusing in your consciousness to the, the essence of, of divinity in anything, 
you're actually finding the aspect of that thing that is already divine and that there is only an illusion of separation that everything isn't fundamentally and ultimately divine. Like the matter itself, the things we study in physics are just expressions or, or aspects of the divine. Anything in the universe, anything in the cosmos is part of that. And I started to think of framing the universe um, instead of like the astral picture of galaxies and stuff like that, which I believe exist, but the whole dimensionality of the universe in, in a sense as an aspect of God's body. Like if God were going to have a body, the whole universe would be it. I have a body made of trillions of cells and a bunch of microorganisms. I thought like, well, galaxies are like the little bacterial units inside my guts. They're just out there in God's body, but they're also part of God. Um, the the idea of like mycelial networks, they're also part of God. And that will lead me to my, my next thought and, and question. So, you know, I thought you could apply that teaching that you can you can pierce through the veil of separation by looking for divinity ultimately in anything. And when you connect with divinity, it doesn't matter whether you connect with it on a micro scale or a macro scale. That is now the connection and the connection represents a form of oneness and absolute specifically about um, the mycelium networks. I've been thinking about this a lot, especially because of this advent of AI based networks and, uh, you know, neural nets and stuff like that. And I've been thinking about the mycelial networks fundamentally as another one of those expressions of the divine. But if then in their form itself, um, an aspect of that knowledge of being interconnected is there. And I wondered if, you know, the more hierarchical a being gets and the more ultimately mental, the more maybe isolated or separated it starts to think. Not that it is, but it starts to think in that way. And if the mycelial networks and the mushroom networks, which seem to always be a representation of an incredible amount of information and connection, are just living in that state. So, you know, it doesn't require them to eat themselves, in essence, to always be connected into that divine state. And I wondered if you've had any experience with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, it reminds me of sort of technology and AI being like this, this, this interconnected thing. Um, but to me, what it brings up is like, and this is something that I don't think AI can, can touch is that. So you say the galaxies and all of that, that is like the body of God. Well, it seems to me that consciousness is like the dream of God, you know, or maybe the experience of God and the experience of God being an interconnected one, I think, as you were saying, is a very good comparison to the mycelial networks. Um, it gives us life. It gives us, um, it gives us everything. You know, the um, in the Eleusinian mysteries, I think it was C Cicero who said, um, which, if anyone doesn't know the, about the Eleusinian mysteries, they were uh, a, basically a psychedelic rite of passage um, that all of the ancient Greeks uh, went through: Socrates, Plato. Um, and Cicero, I believe, said that um, life without the mysteries is unlivable. So I love that because, and, you know, taking it sort of back to the mycelial networks, it's like we don't have life on the earth without the fungal networks that are under our feet all the time. And I think the, the metaphorical version of not having life without the mysteries is like not being able to live a fulfilled life that is sustainable without the connection to spirit, without the connection that 
uh, these psychedelics give us. Through your experience, how do you define spirit? I like to define spirit as uh, almost synonymous with God, um, but I feel like it's more synonymous with soul because I, it's almost like we'll say it's an it's in between soul and God. Like soul is that individual part of yourself that is the embodiment of God. God maybe can be defined as like the external part of you know the realm, and then spirit is like that connection. You know, um, that's why they're all uh, the guides are referred to as spirit guides that come and show themselves in manifestations that can help you. It's like they're, they are your connection to the divine spirit being the soul's connection to the all, like the unity of, of everything. Yeah. The phenomena of spirit and spirits comes up a lot. And a lot of people are also, as they're, you know, getting more into this, referring to ideas of entities and other kinds of encounters. Some people have mentioned what they think of as extraterrestrial experiences um, for you, what kind of things would you classify as spirits that you've encountered on these journeys? Well, they call them like entities as well. Um, you know, the entity that I had mentioned earlier of the mother Mary, I felt like that was a direct encounter with a spirit guide because it felt as if she was literally guiding me through this newly found area because it was, this was the first time I'd ever smoked DMT and it was almost like a welcome party for me. She was just giving me all this love and she was in my, my visual field directly in the center and she wouldn't leave my visual field. And obviously like physically I'm just out, you know, I'm, I'm still, um, but in my visionary field, I'm moving throughout this structured three-dimensional space and she is guiding me through it always in the center of my vision, always feeding me love and welcoming energy. Um, and then I've, I've also had experiences where it presents itself as like an entity that is strictly shape or strictly geometry. Um, and again, as Alan Watts said with the ashtray, it's like you can see the divine in everything. So, you know, I've also seen um, like classical Shiva type four-armed like Hindu gods. And it's just it's just amazing, you know, and it really does bring me back to this question of like, which came first, you know, are we going in, are we going into these experiences uh, ever since ancient times and concocting all of our philosophies of, of religion on what we're experiencing there? Uh, it reminds me of a, a quote that I bring up a lot on my podcast, uh, Ramdas, he had said that um, spirituality is like a gigantic mountain and each person is positioned at a different spot at the base. And we all are taking our paths up to the top. And when you get to the summit, you're intermingling with Christians and Jews and, you know, all kinds of different spiritual um, eclectic people. And the magical part about it is that uh, you're intermingling with them and you can't tell who took which path up the mountain. We're all just pointing to the same summit. We're all trying to get to the same place. Yeah, I wondered if you thought uh, very much like the stoned ape theory of Terence McKenna, if the ancient philosophies were ultimately formed out of people taking psychedelics and having these experiences and then, uh, you know, communicating about them or writing about them. Yeah, I mean, the experience is so profound that it's the only thing that I can think of that's powerful enough to catalyze 
um, language to catalyze evolution or at least to help because of course they say that um, the energy of the brain and body that went into uh, like breaking down raw food was a big part of why we weren't able to evolve as quickly as we did when we discovered fire and began to cook our food. Uh, therefore, more energy was able to be put to the brain for uses like, you know, problem solving and, you know, language creation and things like that. But it does seem like this had a role, especially because as I had mentioned earlier, it does feel like some sort of an evolution of consciousness. It's not just an experience of the divine or experience of absolute euphoria. It does feel like something in your consciousness is moving to a level that is on a higher trans transcendent scale than what you previously were. And even if you look at the aftermath of people having these experiences, like I feel like I'm more evolved spiritually, emotionally, physically than I previously was. Not that I get caught in this notion that I'm more evolved than the guy down the street that's not taking psychedelics. That's I think that's the that's the wrong message because along with the message of the evolution of consciousness, I did receive a message that psilocybin mushrooms, ayahuasca, DMT are not the only ways to achieve this. There are multitude of ways to get there. Yeah, in consciousness, I've recently had a number of experiences that make me think that uh before there was the physical biological consciousness was evolving and beings that we think of in mythology like these you know polytheistic gods these other kinds of spirit forms and very potent important players in our collective understandings collective mythologies around the world were already there maybe even there before earth ever even formed and it seemed to me like people were consuming different kinds of consciousness enhancing uh, plants and or doing consciousness enhancing activities like yoga and meditation. But, you know, very deep practices, not like, you know, a weekend exercise experience, but really, really deep consciousness altering nature of practice that takes you into a, a visionary state and actually then interacting with these beings and then writing philosophy and writing teaching from them and ultimately codifying that. But it seemed to me like, you know, the, the Roman gods, the, the Greek gods, the uh, not only archetypally expressed aspects of humanity, but we're actually representing huge expressions within our consciousness and um, something that people were tapping into. And, you know, over the years, I've had different attitudes about the idea of where these plants would have fit into our evolution. But fundamentally now, I just think that we as, you know, going into ancient history, way back in time, original evolutionary history of humans, uh, we were probably consuming everything, consuming everything that we could find and uh, learning from, you know, experiences of, of watching kind of what happens, like our own personal experimentation finding out what was poisonous, finding out what wasn't, and also finding a number of these different kinds of substances that were ultimately extremely altering and allowing us to tap into a much, much deeper expressions of our consciousness and then tying into those kinds of entities. I One of the reasons why I think of it is because I've interacted with different cultures around the world and here in the Amazon, having very little contact, uh, you know, 
with the rest of the world see through their visions very, very similar entities and beings. Not exactly the same, but many of the beings that are found within the Amazonian mythology look exactly like the beings found within the Eastern philosophies. And it seems like uh, there's a cross-cultural bridge that exists um, way beyond the physical and it's entirely in the consciousness. It does seem that way, doesn't it? Um, you know, I think through through Graham Hancock's work, he did a lot of studies that <clears throat> that showed the connection between like um, indigenous people from Australia and then also from like South America who were, who were having the same types of um, like spiritual experiences and uh, included the same types of spiritual iconography within their works. And I mean, at the time they were, they were unable to meet each other. I mean, this was, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, you know, we weren't seafaring at the time and it's just, it's amazing. And I think it does interweave itself into the evolution of consciousness and the evolution of the human for sure. Absolutely. In my experiences, I, I feel more and more like we're moving beyond the idea of my consciousness, your consciousness, his consciousness, her consciousness, and we're more like nodes and there is consciousness. And we filter through our senses in unique and various ways, but we're all part of something that's uh, in psychology referred to as like the collective consciousness. And that is actually a much more powerful um, presence than I was aware of, you know, younger in my life, like many years ago. How have you been experiencing this idea of tapping into something that seems more collective? Well, I think the most important part of realizing that interconnection of the collective is, I mean, just the way that we treat each other. Um, you know, previously, as I had mentioned, I was, I love to argue with people, you know, I, I love to externally verify things. Um, but what I've learned as a result of psychedelics is this, this notion of compassion. And I think compassion is, and love itself with a capital L are the foundations of consciousness and the foundations of reality itself. And I think fundamentally it shows you that and through your connection to everyone else, it's like that, you know, uh, treat thy neighbor as if they were thyself, you know, the, the classic Jesus quote. Um, that I think is, it's the key to everything. It's a symbiosis. These things, they, uh, they promote symbiosis. They promote teamwork amongst people and amongst not just people, but all species, all animals. And they present this issue of the Gaian hypothesis to me. It really, really hit that home for me of the intelligence and the interconnection of the entire planet as one biosphere, as one sort of cell in, or one node, as you were, as you were saying of God, of consciousness, of the divine. And this thing, it grows on its own and it births us. It doesn't, it's not like we just sort of zap here somehow, you know, and, and, and then we work against nature to then survive and create culture. What I think the most important message of psychedelics is, is that we are not just part of nature, we are nature itself. We are animals and we need to start treating each other and other animals accordingly. Uh, makes me think of like zoos and sea world and things like that. And the way that we study um, in, our, in our science, you know, we, 
we try to be as like less like we try to be least invasive as possible but it's impossible with the way that we do things to not be invasive and to not um, promote environmental destruction and, and all of these things. Right now, there's a huge psychedelic renaissance taking place, maybe the biggest movement in psychedelics in history. I would, I would think it is. There's more people than ever, seven, eight billion humans, and a massive movement around people experimenting and having these experiences uh, what have you seen in the last years in terms of that transformation? And, um, you know, if these are the universal teachings that people are getting, how do you think that that ultimately impacts on, um, you know, ideas around climate and environment and recognizing us in a more fundamental, truthful way and the mammal form that we are, et cetera? Well, one thing it's definitely showed me with interacting with people on like sort of the quote unquote outside is that we we really are in a really a very deep state of of sleep it seems like as a culture we have a lot of work to do and a long long way to go but what's really inspiring to me is that there are a lot of people who i would have never ever thought that would be interested in these things who now are and i think an important part of that is you know as we had mentioned it's really difficult to explain these things to people um and, you know, I've tried. There's definitely uh, good and bad ways that we can go about using language to describe these experiences and what they do for us. But I think one of the most important ways that we can convince people that these things actually work is through our actions. If they can see the results for themselves, you know, if they can see an absolute transformation in someone and then they ask, oh, what is this a result of? What did you do? What work did you put in? And you say, well, it started with a mushroom trip and they say, huh, really a mushroom trip. Oh, I've heard about that. I heard they're using that in some clinical trials. And, you know, with that, with the support of those clinical trials, with the support of the science now, because that's the religion of the time, people are really starting to catch on to what is going on here. Um, and it does, it feels interesting because it, it does feel like we're on sort of some sort of pioneering journey, you know, like we're the, the early adopters of, of this new Renaissance. Um, but as you can see, uh, it's it's no longer uh, a world of early adopters. Now this is the beginning of a, a full swing in consciousness. Yeah, of all of the the you know experiences you've had, what would your recommendations be for people who are in this you know second phase of a, of people having the experiences and adopt, adopting this? People that are new to it, what would be you know some key takeaways that you've you've come up with? One thing is that whenever anybody asks me if I recommend psychedelics, I always say no. I never recommend psychedelics to anybody because it's such a profound experience. It's so life-shattering and paradigm-shifting and can be so destabilizing that it almost feels irresponsible for me to just peddle the psychedelic experience. So what I'd say to people is, you know, I would be happy to... Uh, to tell you about my experiences and to talk to you and answer any questions you may have. But the most important thing is research. Do your research, get involved. Um, because at absolute least, if you extensively research psychedelics, you will be introduced to ideas that are going to shift the way you think about reality. They're gonna shift the way you think about the systems that we're currently growing up in um, and that continue to, to evolve and capture us. And if you do decide to get into it, uh, take it slow, 
respect the substance above all. That is the number one thing because, you know, I've had experiences where I did not respect the substance and it, it told me, it taught me, it taught me respect very, very quick. Um, so I think that's the most important part. You know, I, I like to tell people about the negative experiences so that they understand the severity of uh, what they're getting themselves into and so that they can try to avoid these things and try to learn from, you know, prior mistakes. Yeah. What is respecting the substance? How, how would you break that down? I think respecting the substance really boils down to three things, uh, set, setting, and dose. I think it's very, very important. Your set obviously being your mindset, your intentions, what you're bringing to the experience, why you've decided to do this. Uh, it's not always going to give you what you want. A lot of people say it gives you what you need, and that's exactly the way it should be. That doesn't mean you shouldn't go into it with an intention or go into it with some sort of a reasoning behind what you're doing. I think an intention is very important because it helps to foundationally ground you in the experience, and it helps you to navigate an otherwise unnavigatable, if that's a word, uh, landscape. Um, setting being the people around you, the environment, the atmosphere, you know, personally, what I like to do is turn down the lights, phones are gone. The only thing I do with my phone is I like to set a timer just in case. Um, just so sometimes I feel like it's nice to know how long it's been. But I set that timer, and then the phone goes away. Um, no obligations, no one's going to come to your door, no one's going to call you nothing. You are 100% involved 100% with that experience, you are invested in it. And there's nothing else that you are responsible for doing. Um, apart from that, the setting being comfortable, I like to have candles lit, I like to have some sort of spiritual sacraments with me, whether they be crystals, or, you know, a Buddha statue or something, something to sort of just get you uh, in that state to help with, uh, with your transition. Um, I always take my mattress over my bed and put it in my living room. Um, so there's pillows everywhere, there's blankets everywhere, candles lit. It's just a, a beautiful, inviting environment. And then a lot of people sort of don't really talk about the dose much, but I think the dose is super important, especially when you're you're talking about mushrooms, um, like with dried grams, because the threshold is very different. Each experience, according to dose, is very different. You know, I like to say, like, maybe a gram to two, 2.5 grams dried is like that, that basic experience of like walls breathing, colors being um, like more vibrant. Uh, you're able to sort of see things that you wouldn't normally see in your physical reality. The, the stimuli that are outside of you are really uh, interacting inside. You're feeling your environment and you can have fun and relax and laugh and love. And then, you know, the, the three gram to four gram is really, really hitting it hard. Like you're starting to, um, venture into that divine realm. You're starting to, to venture inside your own soul and your own spirit. Um, but at that level, I like to think of it as like, you're, you're put underwater, but you can come up for air if you need to, because the dose isn't so insane that you lose all control. You do have a bit of control of you know, where you are, you can ground yourself and come up above water. And then when you do like five grams plus, 
that is, you know, you're put underwater, you know, the, the surface is sealed. You're not getting out. You are, you're in the experience. It's going to take you where it wants to take you. Um, and that to me, it, that's where the real, the real stuff is. I mean, it might sound a little elitist or something because some people say like, oh, if you're not taking 10 grams, you're not doing it right. I don't believe that. Um, I think that five grams plus that heroic dose, it's a very important threshold to understand, but everyone's different. You know, people have different, um, uh, affinities to different substances. Their tolerance might not be the same as everybody else. It has to do with weight as well. Um, so there's a lot of factors, but I think really honing in that dose is super important too. Yeah. You know, when we talk about dose and we talk about these substances, especially for people who don't have a lot of experience with it, the first thing I think is important is to not compare it to anything else. You have to treat it like, I don't know what this is. It's, I can't use pharmaceuticals as a way to compare. I can't use alcohol. I can't use tobacco. I can't use coffee. I can't use anything else that's been uh, mind altering in any kind of way to be able to understand this thing, you know, and there's such a variety of of potency amongst the different kinds of psychedelics and then the different varieties of each psychedelic. So mushrooms has now an, an unbelievable number of strains and there will be more. Um, same thing with cannabis. There's an unbelievable number of strains. And then uh, there's also different preparations. And so I think you're right about the importance of dose and really learning with with the dose. I've always thought with mushrooms, especially if you don't know the batch and the supply, to always have what would be a micro dose first. Literally have the tiniest amount, test it to see how your body even reacts to it before you go into a visionary experience with something that's completely new. You want to see that that physiologically, biologically, you just digest it well, that it it's not any kind of uh there isn't any extra strain or bacteria in there that could be poisonous in any way. There's, there's nothing, you know, negative. It's, it's clear. It's safe. It's kind of like a test for it. Um, but I agree with you. There's, there's doses that are much more surface level and they allow you to have a more psychological experience and, and a kind of a cursory understanding of, of what that is. And then there are ones that I, you know, where you're in and out, but it's fully in. And then it's, you know, a little bit normal and then it's fully in and then there are doses that's just in and uh i think you people need to build up to that because it's another state of consciousness to be in it's it's a, like a different waking state it's a different lucid awareness uh form of consciousness and you need to have already learned i think some navigation skills like so a navigation skill could be like i get scared how do i calm down um i see something dark how do i go to my heart and find the light again um, I encounter something with somebody else who's there who moves to a state of fear and I feel like it's now encroaching upon me and I don't feel comfortable uh, in a place to be able to handle that. What do I do? How do I find my own ground in my own place? I think we can learn those basic skills on the lower doses so that we actually have them available to us when we then experience a higher dose and uh, start to tap in with things that are much more profound. And I think taking it slow is really important that uh, we understand that this is something that we learn. It's not something that we just go and do. And I fundamentally would not treat any of the sacred plants or visionary plants as a drug experience. I would not think I'm going in and taking a drug. I would think I'm going in and having an experience that's incredibly profound, like you mentioned, and wanting to ensure my safety 
and a positive outcome associated with that experience. And there are enough negative stories out there about what some people have gone through to understand the importance of it. But I think that that's also part of mindset to get out of the Western drug culture in its entirety, get out of the recreational drug culture and get into the opportunity of a sacred experience and understanding the importance of what that sacred experience could be. And I really like how you describe how you set up the space to really minimize any kind of variable that would be disruptive to whatever comes up for you while having that experience and treating it with a tremendous level of focus. Yeah, because I I do find that the more you allow the external stimuli to sort of grab hold of your consciousness, the harder it is to surrender to what the mushroom or any psychedelic is trying to show you. Of all of the psychedelics you've taken, you talk a lot about mushrooms and a little bit about DMT. What other kinds of psychedelics have you journeyed with and what kinds of experiences did they provide? Um, my main um, substances are mushrooms and DMT. Uh, I've only tried LSD once and it was a beautiful experience as well, but I just prefer mushrooms for some reason. They they call me, they, they speak to me more. Um, and DMT is something that I'm just starting to really dip my toes into more heavily. Um, and another aspect I think that's super important too is knowing that it's okay to not do the substance. You know, some people like, if they make a plan, they feel like they absolutely must go through with it. And I think that is important in terms of like, if you're going to go take an ayahuasca journey, if you're going to travel to Peru and you're going to commit yourself to a five-day retreat, I think that it's very important that you overcome your fear and you work through it to participate in the experiences because especially with ayahuasca, like it really... With each experience, as you obviously know, it wraps itself up sort of at, by the end. So even if it feels like you shouldn't go into the next experience, it's likely that you should. Um, but if you're if you get mushrooms or you have DMT or something and you're at home and you plan in, an experience and it just doesn't feel right at the time, it's okay to not do it. It's okay to back out um, because there's no rush to me. I, I, I think of it that way. There, there's really no rush. Um, you know, these, these things will be there. Uh, they were here long before us and they'll be here long after us. Um, and again, I think that's part of the respect of the substance is making sure that your set is perfect. And if your set isn't right, your mindset's not right. It is okay to, uh, to not do it in my opinion. Yeah. I really like that idea that you can, um, you know, cancel. <laughs> you can just walk mm -hmm. away from it and and not have to do it. I, I don't see any reason to think that you just because you're scheduled, you have to to participate. I think more importantly is you adjust your experience to your needs and you treat these as medicines that have a potential and a high probability of bringing something very positive to you. And so you always want to put all the odds in your favor. You want to put all the variables in your favor. And if you're not feeling it, definitely don't do it. You know, you can take a day, you can take a week. It doesn't really matter. And same thing with dose. You can think about what kind of dose you're going to have and gear up for a really big dose because you think you're going to push a boundary and get there and realize, no, nah, it's not necessary. And I've been hearing a lot of people who are real psychonauts saying that 
especially recently, that some of their biggest experiences actually came from smaller doses and that it's okay to explore in those realms because it's more about the consciousness than it is about taking the substance. And to think, you know, to get into that mindset, I think is uh, supportive of the quality of experience you're going to have. In terms of the mushrooms itself, what kinds of mushrooms uh, have you worked with? Have you worked with a lot of different varieties or is it the same kind or the same strain? Um, usually, you know, the Psilocybe cubensis. Um, I've dabbled with Golden Teacher, uh, B plus or B positive, as it's called sometimes. Uh, Treasure Coast is another strain. Um, but usually it's those cubensis mushrooms. Uh, one that I would like to try soon would be uh, the albino penis envy mushrooms. Um, I've heard some great things about those. Uh, but yeah, mostly it's been the cubensis for me. And what's the difference for people who've never done this? What's the difference between one strain and another? To me, there's not a whole lot of difference between the cubensis strains, whether they be, you know, Golden Teacher, Treasure Coast. I mean, you're, uh, I, the, the common internet phrase is a cube is a cube. And I, I think that that's pretty true. Um, I've had, I think what really determines the potency, the experience itself and the differences are from grow to grow, they're going to change. Potency is going to change. Um, the visual experience is going to change. Like sometimes there would be like a particular batch where the visual part of it was really, really pronounced. Um, other batches where the visuals literally go away like everything looks exactly as it is but the experience is all mental and all inside which is super uh, interesting to me so i really don't think that the strain matters too much a lot of people will say they do and the same with cannabis i think with with cannabis the strains do matter more because the potency is very different from strain to strain uh you know if you um have a dispensary in your area you can see that each of the cannabis strains have their own percentage of TAC and THC, so you can really hone it in. But with psilocybin, it's a bit different. Uh, being harder to test the potency of psilocybin mushrooms makes that a little bit more of a toss-up as well. But uh, yeah, I don't think there's too much of a, of a difference between the cubensis mushrooms. That's fascinating. Uh, for me, it's, it's really interesting to think that if they're coming kind of from the same family, that there's a lot of similarities between them. I've been re researching more about the different, uh, the way the way other people describe the experiences or the, the qualities of these different kinds of mushrooms. And the penis envy ones come up a lot, uh, you know, a lot of warning signs out there and stuff like that. I know a lot of people though who've started working with them and actually have had incredible experiences. They just say you have to be at larger doses prepared for what you would think of as a much more psychedelic or a much more potent kind of um, journey experience associated with them. Have you ever heard of Silawaska? I've heard of something similar, but can you explain that? Yeah, Silawaska is basically ayahuasca, and instead of using chacruna or chalipanga to create the DMT, they use mushrooms. And so it's a it's a hybrid. It's you know kind of the psychonaut creation. Uh, it's not traditionally used in the Amazon in any kind of way. But I've also heard that people have had un, like unbelievably powerful experiences with that. Um, so you know, I'm really interested in how kind of the Western mindset of of experimentation and ultimately impacts upon what were traditional practices. You know, over the years. 
obviously my first introduction was to ayahuasca and then a deep practice in ayahuasca shamanism for over 14 years. That's all we did. We were in a lineage. There were about 50 plants that we could use. All other plants were prohibited. And over the years, I left those prohibitions to be able to explore much, you know, much more outside of it. Um, but it's a vast, vast field of, of exploration. There's an unbelievable amount to look at. There's an unbelievable amount to, to, to master of both information and personal experience. For somebody who's, who's really interested in, uh, you know, wanting to do this, they haven't done it, they want to do it, um, wh what would you tell them? What would you tell them about, about how to approach their first experience? Again, respect, respect, respect and research. And another aspect of it is where are you getting the substance from? Do you know that the substance that you're getting is pure? Do you know that you're not getting something that is completely different from, you know, what you're trying to purchase? Um, a big issue with the LSD space is people are getting what's called 2,5-I N-bomb, which is really, really bad for you um, at certain doses, which are unmanageable when you're applying them to tabs, uh, you can die from, from two, five, I N bomb. And, you know, it's happening at, uh, you know, festivals and stuff like that. So I think that's so, so important to test your substances. There's what's called the Ehrlich test, which essentially, you know, you buy it online, $10 test, and there's a little tube of liquid and you put the liquid on whatever your substance is, just a little tiny piece of the substance. So you have a tab just use a razor blade and chop off like a corner and put this substance on it. And depending on what color it changes into, it'll tell you whether or not a tryptamine is in whatever substance you have, whether it be DMT, psilocybin, or, um, or LSD. It's easier with mushrooms because a mushroom is a mushroom. And if you're getting a psilocybin mushroom, there's more than likely not going to be anything else in there because of the way that mushrooms grow, um, which I think the revolution is going to come when people are able to grow their own and cultivate their own substances um, when it becomes legalized. So then they don't have to worry about going out and you know getting something that might be tainted. Yeah, I think that's incredible advice to offer people. Um, the in the plants, if you know the origin of the plants and the source of the plants, it's really simple to to you know control or or protect against any kind of outside contamination. But with other kinds of psychedelics that are pharmaceutical-based, chemical-based, I think that's a tremendous uh, risk. And I agree with you that testing is a fundamental necessity. So I deeply appreciate you putting that into the space and for people to understand how important that is for their safety and their overall well-being. Um, we don't support the the idea of the western drug culture and and the recreational culture to us these are sacred medicines but we understand that it's out there and we understand that it's it's bigger than ever and so there's been an absolute failure in the nature of control over the nature of the substances and they're becoming more and more contaminated with other forms and so if you are going to go out if you are in a situation or a recreational setting um if you're at a party, et cetera, and somebody wants to give you something, don't take it unless you know what it is. There are just too many horror stories happening now. And I, I really want to protect 
this growing movement of positive use of psychedelics from all of the negatives that we've already seen over the last 30 years. This is a tremendous opportunity for these medicines to get the real respect that they deserve both as medicines and, you know, in the people's experiences like you really having your relationship blossom because of the ability to, to have the sharing of these experiences. And, you know, that's quintessential healing in the form of plant medicine that's been around for thousands of years in traditional cultures. And I think it's an opportunity for our own cultures to finally uh, be able to embrace that kind of transformation and healing. And we know we need it. And so um, please help, you know, protect the burgeoning psychedelic space from those kinds of cross contaminations. And it's, I think, all of our collective responsibility to provide safety. And so, Josh, I really appreciate everything that you've uh, spoken about on those topics. Uh, how should people get in contact with you, find you, find your podcast? So the podcast is called Pursuit of Infinity. We're on all of the, you know, the, the podcast networks. Uh, you can go to pursuitofinfinity.com and you can contact us there. We have a section where you can fill out a form and it'll directly email us. Uh, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Pursuit of Infinity uh, is up and running too. So you can go find us there. And uh, Hamilton, I really, really appreciate um, everything that you presented today and um, your openness and just for having me on the podcast today. It's been great. Yeah, thanks, Josh. I really appreciate you coming on the Blue Morpho podcast. And I look forward to many more and a lot more conversations and explorations as we go into the future. Thank you so much. Have a great day.